smells Jesus-y. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. We are the aroma of Christ. God has spoken Welcome to Smells Jesus-y, a podcast from Three Crosses Church. Today, we're continuing our series, Hardcore Jesus. In this episode, Matt Waldron is speaking to us from John chapter 14, verses 6 to 21. Love Jesus. Here's Matt. What would be enough for you? What do you want? I don't mean about the length of the sermon. I'm just now I'm starting. What do you want in life? Uh, what do you want to get? What do you want to achieve? What makes you feel good? What would be enough? What would be enough for me? Another guitar? Uh, I think now I've matured as a musician to be able to get one guitar for both my personal music and playing in church. So the guitar I've got my eye on is a Gibson Les Paul double cut with a custom painting of my wife in a bathtub full of Bibles. That'd be classy, right? What about if I achieved enough in my job? I mean, I work for this church. Uh, So what if we built up three crosses to be a network of hundreds of churches with a budget of hundreds of millions of dollars and me as the network pastor coordinating our team of stand-up comedy race car drivers hosting evangelistic cooking shows. Would that be, I mean, that would reach, that would reach lots of people, right? Would that be enough? Well, no, of course not. Life is about family. Once Cheryl and I get our new house built, we'll move in with the kids. They'll each have their own bedrooms, no more renting. They could each have a pet. Actually, they want to have several pets. Uh, based on what they're planning, they think we're going to go and live on a farm. So realistically, I'm not sure whether I'll spend more time helping them look after the pets or dealing with uh, the uh, you know, uh, regulation breaks from the council of everything we're doing wrong. And family life will just continue to be the evolving chaos that it, li- that it is, right? What would be enough? At some level, I think we all know life and happiness doesn't actually work that way. It's not about having enough or getting enough or doing enough. Uh, So a secular psychologist named uh, named Jonathan Haidt put it this way in his 2006 book, The Happiness Hypothesis. Happiness is not something you can find, acquire or achieve directly. You have to get the conditions right and then wait. Some of those conditions are within you, such as coherence among the parts and levels of your personality. You can tell that he's a psychologist. Anyway, he goes on. Other conditions require relationships to things beyond you, just as plants need sun, water, and good soil to thrive. People need love, work, and a connection to something larger. Well, uh, it seems to me that's a pretty common observation in our world, that we need to be part of something bigger. So I think that raises three questions. What connection do I have to something larger than myself? What's the something bigger for me to get connected to? How do I get that relationship right? And how does that give meaning to everyday life? So they're the three questions we're going to work through 
as we look at this uh, Bible passage in John chapter 14. What connection do I have to something larger than myself? How do I get that relationship right? How does that give meaning to everyday life? So first, what connection do I have to something larger than myself? Well, uh, this story happens just before Jesus' arrest and execution. Things are heating up politically. Jesus starts explaining to his disciples that things are about to get very hard. In fact, things are about to get downright horrible. But it's all part of God's plan and he is leading them. And Jesus' followers are confused and scared. And so one of them, Philip, pipes up with a suggestion of how Jesus could reassure them. John chapter 14, verse 8. We're sort of diving in partway into the conversation. Philip said... Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. So, uh, just to catch you up on uh, what's been going on, Jesus and his disciples are all assuming the same thing. They're all devout Jews. They all know their Bibles, their Jewish Bibles, what Christians have in the Old Testament. And uh, that is that what life is about is having a connection to God. Uh, Yahweh, the God of Israel. He is the God who created all things. He created all people for a relationship with himself. And so uh, when Philip says, show us the Father, he's saying, you know, God, the one that you refer to as your Father, Jesus, uh, that will be enough. Being connected to God, that's enough. So what uh, Jesus and his disciples are all assuming is there's really only two options to have a connection to something larger than yourself. There's God, our creator, who created us for a relationship with himself, or there's something that God created or we've made up that won't really work properly. So that's a very uh, 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 controversial claim in our day, but Jesus and his disciples are all on the same page with each other on that, so I thought it was important not to skip over it. Uh, so let me just give you a bit of that context uh, from the Jewish Bible. What the Christian includes is the Old Testament. Let me show you in Psalm 115 uh, th this kind of logic. To have a connection to something bigger than yourself, you've got two options. There's God, who is the creator, genuinely bigger, created us to have that connection with him, or there's anything else is not going to really work properly. So Psalm 115, I'll read from verse 2. Why do the nations say, where is their God? So it's Jews saying, why do other nations say, where's our God? All the other nations had sculptures to represent their gods. The Jews didn't, and so other nations would make fun of them and say, their God, you can't even see him. And so the rest of the psalm is the response. Verse 3, our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold, made by human hands. Well, what's, what's so wrong with that? Verse 5. They have mouths, but cannot speak. Eyes, but cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear. Noses, but cannot smell. They have hands, but cannot feel. Feet, but cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. Okay, so here's the argument in a nutshell. If you make a God for yourself, to worship, to follow, 
to honour, to celebrate. Anything we make up as a God is not even going to be as good as us. Right? You, right human beings can, can make uh, things that look like they have ears or mouths or eyes. Uh, now, with modern technology, we can make things that kind of do that, but it's always a step down from us. And so the things that we worship, that we honour, that we think having a connection to this thing bigger than myself is what life is about, if that thing is actually less than us, instead of growing us to be all that we can be, we grow to be less. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. Now, of course, uh, in our country, in our current time, we don't tend to have as many uh, literal physical idols, so there are people who do that in their religion. Uh, but uh, it's not just... You know, can we make something big enough and, and good enough? Because even throughout history and the time that Israel's talking about, they knew that the idols that the people made represented bigger, better things in the universe. So, for example, they had gods that they believed were essentially incarnate in the sun, or the weather, or various stars, or the planet, or parts of geological reality. I mean, the sun, isn't the sun bigger and better than me? Well, the sun's physically bigger than me, but the sun still can't hear or see or have a relationship or have a morality. And so if I'm trying to worship the sun, it is still going to make me less of what I have the potential to be. If my aspiration, if I think the biggest thing in reality, the thing that is worth living for, is impersonal, then at some level, at some point, at some time as I chase that love, chase that aspiration, honour that way of being, I'm saying having morals, having love, all those things are not ultimately what reality is about. And so it lessens me as a human being. And all the things that people do live for today, whether they call them gods or not, whether they are constructs of modern thinking or part of nature, suffer from this same problem. We cannot find something in creation or make up something in our imaginations that is worthy of us living for. That's why all devout Jews always agreed and still do agree that you've got a choice. To find something bigger than yourself, there's the creator. Oh, any, any monotheistic religion would agree with this. There's either the creator or making up something to live for that's not worth living for because you are made to live for the creator. So when Philip says to Jesus, show us the Father and that will be enough for us, he knows what Jesus has been teaching, that actually none of us have our relationship with God the Creator right. 
That's why we're desperately looking for something to connect with larger, for our, with our, larger than ourselves. Because our relationship with God is not right. Uh, we've all turned away from God. We've all tried to make up what God is like instead of just worshipping him the way he is. And that has twisted us. Our sense of ourselves, how we treat each other, how we treat God's good world. And it certainly gets in the way of how we treat God. We've been seeing the last two weeks that all of us, because of that rebellion against God, because of that sin, all of us are self-deceived and we are deceived about ourselves. We have this smaller idea of who we are rather than the true picture of the potential God has created us for to be in his family. And so Philip knows that God is what he needs and knows that we haven't got that properly because of sin. So he says, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. He knows that God is enough and he knows that Jesus is the one who can sort that out. But he still hasn't understood how to get that right. Uh, Let me read you the kind of bigger paragraph so you can see uh, Jesus explaining and Philip missing the point. Uh, Let's read from verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is saying, once again, very controversially, that he's the only way to God. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus is saying, it is now sorted out. From now on. And Philip only gets half of it. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. He's heard Jesus saying he's the only way to God. And he's saying, yep, that's what we want. I'm up for it. Let's do it. And Jesus says, it's already done. How does that work? Verse 9, Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. So, what Jesus says there several times, just in different ways. If you have a relationship with me, Jesus, that is a relationship with God the Father. Jesus is saying that his relationship with God is so close, so intimate, so united, that to have a relationship with Jesus is itself to have a relationship with God. Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So it's not just that God is enough, that having a connection to God is what life is about. 
Jesus is saying, He is enough. He is what life is about. To love God, we need to know Him. In Jesus, God makes Himself fully known. Uh, this is one of those passages that is uh, a little bit tangly, partly because Jesus says the same thing uh, several times from slightly different perspectives, and partly also because uh, the way that Jesus is close to God the Father is there's more than one thing going on. That's the simplest way of saying it. So uh, Jesus is both uh, perfectly human and also fully divine. And so when you start talking about that, uh, it can be hard to know which one Jesus is referring to at different points. So I'm not going to go through verse by verse and try and untangle that for you now, though that's a worthwhile exercise. Uh, and I'd love to do that with you after the service if you want to, or we can catch up another time and do it, or you can get together in your mini-teams during the week and, and you know, work through that. But uh, the, the, the big one that I think is worth noticing just here is where he says uh, that at least believe on the, the basis of the works, and whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and do greater works than these, for I'm going to the Father. So there's a couple of things that I think can be confusing there. Uh, one is, uh, it makes it sound like, uh, gee, you, you can think it sounds like, uh, I've been uh, having a close relationship with God, and so I've been doing various miracles, uh, but people who have a relationship with God through me will have an even closer relationship with God and be able to do even better miracles. That's not what he's saying. Uh, he's saying that the work he's been doing of bringing in God's kingdom is going to be done bigger, greater, uh, after he goes. What does him going mean? Him going to the Father. It means his death and resurrection. So his death and resurrection is what is going to complete the work of bringing God's kingdom. What is going to kick off God's kingdom being built around the world and what God is going to do through followers of Jesus around the world. It's going to take over the whole world eventually. That's the greater work. And uh, it's not because Jesus' followers are closer to God than Jesus is. It's because Jesus, as the unique uh, Son of God, perfectly human, fully divine, is going to finish his work and send his followers to carry it out. Okay, so uh, the, the big point is that Jesus is saying he's enough. Sometimes people say, well, look, there are many ways up the mountain. You know, God is like a mountain. There are many ways up. And Jesus is just one way. Jesus is not claiming just to be a way up the mountain. Jesus is claiming to be the mountain. So there, there, aren't, there aren't more than way, one way up the, the thing that you're going up. Jesus is claiming to be the actual point. Uh, commonly today, people in Australia think, well, the important thing about having a connection to something bigger than myself is that it works for me. Well, the problem is, there's, the only options are God or something that will make you less human. And if you think being less human is what works for you, you've missed the whole point of you being human. 
I don't know if you uh, watch Mythbusters at all, uh, but uh, one of the hosts, uh, Adam Savage, is a, a special effects uh, guy who works, you know, doing special effects in, in movies and TV, I understand. At least that's how he's always introduced on the show. Uh, apparently, one of the things he likes to do is go and visit um, Comic-Con or other big kind of conferences where people uh, dress up in costumes and do cosplay and that sort of stuff. Because then it gives him an opportunity to dress up in a costume where his face is hidden and he can't be recognised and, and go and just be a normal part of the, you know, the crowd. Uh, but what he, what he apparently tends to do is he um, s announces on Twitter just before he arrives at the conference that he is there in a costume and uh, has prizes for people who can find him. Of course, uh, because he's you know, a special effects guy working in the industry and he's doing all this presumably as part of you know, a promotional strategy, he can put some time and money into his costumes. He has good costumes from the ones I've seen. You can, you can watch some videos on YouTube of him walking through and seeing if he gets stopped and stuff. But he has good costumes. So there are two kinds of people in the crowd. There are people who see the costume and go, that's a cool costume. They might even take a selfie with him. You know, this is the, one of the best costumes I've seen today. Can I take a selfie with you? Yep, no problem. Selfie. And then there are people who see the costume and figure out what it means. I think this is Adam. And they go and ask. Now, what do you think would be the best prize for someone who guesses it's Adam? Well, often the prize he gives is a ticket to see him at his appearance at the conference, which I think is a perfectly appropriate prize. If you're the kind of person who can figure out, ah, oh, this is a fantastic, this is the kind of thing Adam would do, this is probably him, then you're probably the kind of person who would love to go to his show. Uh, Jesus is historically an incredibly impressive person. But he's not just an impressive human being. He is God, come as a human being. What is, the, what is the prize for understanding that, for believing that? Well, you get to be with God. That's the, that's the, that's the right result. If you're the person who God brings to understand that he has come to build a relationship with you in Jesus, then how could he give you anything better than a relationship with him in Jesus. That's the whole point. And so how does that work in everyday life? Right? What, uh, what connection do we have to something larger? Well, the only option is God or something that doesn't work. How do we make that relationship right? Jesus makes it right by bringing us into a relationship with him. Uh, having Jesus is enough. How does that work in practice? Well, Jesus gives us this great little um, kind of summary he says he is the way, the truth, and the life. I think what's going on there, I think he's just saying the same thing in three different ways. Uh, you know, the, the way of life that you have is going to reflect what you believe is the truth about what life is about and how to live right. It's going you know, to be your life. You know, th these are all different ways of saying the same thing. And the, po the point Jesus is making by piling them up is to say it's him, right? Philip and the disciples are thinking, you are the way to God the Father. So we'll follow you 
and will eventually get to the end point we're aiming at. They're thinking Jesus is the source of truth. They listen to his teaching and they get what's true and that enables them to get to what's true, something other than Jesus. They think life is, well, Jesus is going to be the one that connects them with real life, but Jesus is saying, no, no, it's him. He's not connecting them beyond himself to God the Father. He's connecting them to himself and in him they can have a relationship with God the Father. He's not connecting them beyond himself to some other truth. He's connecting them to him. He's the truth. He's the way, the truth and the life. So if you want to be thinking, how do I, how do I focus on Jesus in my day-to-day life? Here's, here's a great little slogan to have in your head. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. What might that look like? Well, uh, when you think about your way of life, what, what would you say about your way of life, the way you live? You might say that your life is, uh, well, if you're me, I would say my life is chaotic and uh, disorganised. You might say that your life is very organised and disciplined. Uh, you might say that your life is the Australian way of life. Or if you're from a different culture, you know, you might have a different culture that kind of you sort of say, that's my way, that's the way I live. It might be to do with uh, the way your family is or the family responsibilities you have. It might be to do with your job and how that shapes your schedule. There are lots of things that shape the way of our lives, the way we live. But Jesus is saying he's the true way. So when I make decisions about uh, you know, what to do and how to live, There are all these other considerations, but Jesus is saying, actually, the ultimate answer should be, Jesus is the way. Similarly, when we think about what is true, Jesus doesn't introduce us to some other external criteria of how you know what's true. It's Jesus himself. Two weeks ago, we looked earlier in John's Gospel at John chapter 8, where Jesus said, If you're really my follower, hold on to my teaching. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And uh, some of his followers say, How can that work? We're not even slaves. And then what Jesus says is, uh, Everyone who sins is a slave to sin, but if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. How does following Jesus lead to knowing the truth which sets you free? Does it mean if you follow Jesus' teaching enough, you get some little nugget of truth that unlocks everything? No, it means you get to know Jesus and he personally sets you free. Truth is not ultimately some abstract set of ideas of what is true. Truth is Jesus. And because Jesus is eternally consistently, unchangingly God, you can say a whole bunch of things that are true. But truth is ultimately not stuff, it's Jesus. And similarly, life. What is the difference between you and a rock? Hopefully lots of things, including your appearance, but what's the difference between something that's alive and something that's not? Right, that's one of the, uh, uh, the great questions of um, uh, our scientific age is what's the, different, what, what's the relationship between my brain and me as a self? It's called uh, the hard problem of science because it's so hard. 
Well, let me spoil it for you. The answer is Jesus. Right? Jesus is, I mean, there might be more detail that we can say about that. I don't know if we'll figure out more about that or not. But the reason that you are you, that you are a self, that you are alive, that you matter, is because you were created for Jesus, for his glory. And you're not going to be able to get that right without Jesus. He's the point. And so as you go through your life and you're making decisions, there's going to be lots of things to consider, but you can say, no, Jesus is the way. He's the ultimate consideration. I'm following Jesus. I want to be in Jesus. He's the way. As you think about what's true and how to think about what's right and what's wise, Jesus is the truth. He's the ultimate consideration. And Jesus is the life. He's the one that makes it worthwhile. And if you're not connected with him, you're just deceiving yourself. Uh, Jesus uh, sums this all up in a very simple, practical way in verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. (laughs) That really just puts it in a nutshell. If what I've said is too complicated, there you go. Love Jesus and so do what he says. Uh, That doesn't make it easy because sometimes it's hard to know how what he has taught us applies to our situations. But how do I make Jesus my way? Well, I do what he says. How do I make Jesus the truth? Well, I live the way he says to and look at things that way. How do I live in light of the fact that Jesus is life? Well, love him and obey his commands. Notice it's not obey my commands and if you go through the motions enough, we'll count that. Uh, Jesus didn't come to uh, you know, coerce or trick or drive us to live a certain way in the hope that it would make things better. Jesus came to die and be raised to life again, to love us back into a relationship with him where we love him back. And we grow in that by living it out. Uh, Rachel Milner has a blog, if you feel like looking it up later. Rachel Milner. And on her blog, she wrote, What do you do when you look at your life and realize that you have everything you ever wanted and it is not enough? I found myself in that situation about six months into marriage as I woke up day after day with the physical, mental and emotional pain of depression and anxiety. A quick survey of my life brought an acute awareness that on paper, I'd been given every single thing I'd prayed for. Marriage, check. Dream job, check. Cute little apartment and an awesome puppy, check and check. Yet my heart was hurting. My eyes never seemed to stop leaking tears, and I was struggling each day to will myself out of bed and propel myself to do even the simplest of tasks. Let me be clear here. My husband is a precious and wonderfully faithful man of God and he loves me incredibly well. My husband wasn't the issue. My heart was the deceiver at fault. Believing that contentment and peace would finally be found in my relationship status and job situation. 
I'd unknowingly placed so much hope in the promise of marriage and my dream life that I'd forgotten to come to Jesus to be filled up. I'd let my happily ever after serve as my saviour. And instead of falling on my knees to worship Jesus each day, I'd spent my hours chasing after that fairy tale life. I'd even traded my quiet time in the secret with the Lord for eating takeout on the couch with my husband. The reality of living life with Jesus is this. Contentment is not a stage of life to be reached or a level of security to possess. Contentment is an attitude of the heart and an unshakable belief in the all-sufficient Saviour. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, please help us not to try and find enough or get enough or do enough, but just to trust you that Jesus is enough. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. Help us just to enjoy him. Amen.